Before you start listening, this episode involves discussions about mental health, including suicide. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. Or if you prefer to text, you can get help by messaging hello to the crisis text line at 741-741. These services are free, available 24-7, and confidential. Now, on to the episode. You missed me and Grace passing out on the stage once. Uh, that was, oh. It wasn't funny in the moment. Oh, I didn't know you were in here. Even if I hadn't known there were just two weeks of school left when I walked into Jacob Cook's classroom last May, his students, a section of DuPont Manual's women's choir, would have given it away. There's just something special about the silliness that washes over teenagers when they know summer vacation is right around the corner. And after the year they had, their unceasing giggles that morning were a welcome sound. I was there to shadow Brianna Johnson, a senior in the Youth Performing Arts School, or YPASS, one of several magnet programs offered at Manual. She was one of 10 girls in class that day, including a good friend of hers who sat cross-legged on the floor putting on mascara. That friend was white. Brianna is black. Part of the reason I was shadowing Brianna was to see how she navigated the racial dynamics at Manual, Kentucky's number one public high school, which is majority white. But I can't say I expected the topic of race to come up before the first bell even rang. We're not ready. Oh, okay, good, because I'm still not getting here. It's not even 7.40 yet. Back to the bow. We still have Dr. Newman to hear from. Um, what is he going to say? He's going to probably have to tell you to have a good day. Diversity, service, and excellence. Uh, That's so weird. How am I supposed to encourage diversity? Look at me. (laughs) Brianna's friend had addressed race head-on, but in an exchange so casual, it was clear the girls trusted each other. She'd called out her own whiteness. She'd made a joke out of it. Yet at the same time, she'd been honest and vulnerable. How could she, a white girl encourage diversity. Of course, there wasn't time to get an answer then. The girls were still giggling as Principal Michael Newman came on the loudspeaker and then finished up his morning announcements. Liberty and justice for all. And students and staff, uh, those that are tested today, good luck, work hard, and please enjoy the day and be focused on excellence, diversity, and tradition. Thank you. What? Conducting from the front of the classroom, Cook led the girls through their vocal warm-ups, sopranos on stage left and altos on stage right. Brianna, an alto, had swapped a green cloth face mask for a rigid black one. The special singing masks, which all the girls wore, protruded farther from their mouths than a typical covering, keeping their voices from becoming hoarse. It was an important class for them. 
They had full dress rehearsal that night for their end of year concert, with the full performance in the Y Pass Auditorium the following evening. And because you can't really practice choir singing through a computer, remote learning had put them behind. Not that I could really tell that, though. moved the girls into song practice, their voices melding and swelling, Brianna, at about five feet tall, stood out from the others. Her back was straight as a board. She tapped one foot while her eyes traced the sheet music in her hands. Her head had begun to glide from side to side, a graceful tug and pull like an ocean tide. met Brianna in early March 2021. I'd been invited to a virtual workshop on education justice by the Kentucky Student Voice Team, a group pushing for more young people to be involved in policymaking decisions. Even through her tiny Brady Bunch square on my laptop, I could feel Brianna's outsized presence and her passion for improving Louisville schools. A few weeks later, we connected on our own Zoom call. I love manual, and I've really loved YPass. YPass is part of a big reason why I did not hate my high school experience, especially before I found my group of people. It was just a place to just do what I love and just feel unique. Because in YPass, it's literally like the high school musical of the real world. <laughs> Being in YPass also meant that Brianna had a lot of doors open for her. That day I visited Mr. Cook's class, it was one of the most rigorous lessons I'd ever seen. The girls sang for 70 minutes straight, with no breaks, and Cook constantly, though lovingly, pushed them to be better the entire time. It was professional training, but without the cost. And that mattered to Brianna, who considers her family to be low income. The thing is, the vocal training Brianna was receiving at Manual wasn't really any different from the culinary training I'd seen Zyron receive at Iroquois. Yet because of the school's different reputations, Brianna's experience would be more highly regarded, both by the Louisville community and prospective colleges. YPASS students earn seats at places like the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati and the Juilliard School in New York. And just having the name DuPont Manual on your college application makes a difference, as Brianna found out firsthand. Manuel sits at the far end of a spectrum of privilege across Jefferson County Public Schools, and its reputation is well known. Especially with Kentucky schools, everyone knows who Manuel's is. All the surrounding states know who Manuel is. And so even when I was applying to Vanderbilt, they're like, oh, you go to Manuel? Oh, that's nice. Notoriety is a big thing. Brianna didn't end up at Manuel, a good school with a really good reputation, by accident. 
her mom went there. I did. I graduated from Manuel and White Pass in 1990. So I was the first one. And then I had an older daughter who's two years older than her. She came out in 2018. Was it 18? What year did Brittany graduate? 2018. Yeah, 2018. So, um... Brianna's family lives on the outskirts of Jefferson County, a full 30-minute drive from Manuel, and that's without traffic. Her parents are divorced, and last spring she was living with her mom, a Mary Kay consultant and Lyft driver. Brianna's assigned school was Fern Creek High, which the state last rated as just one star out of a possible five. A bad school. Cindy Johnson told me she never even considered sending her daughters there. How early on did you think, like, I want my girls to go to manual like I did? Um, actually, when they were three and five, because they both were born in California. And then when we moved here, we got here in 2006, and I immediately started them in dance. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the Michael Thomas Dance Center in J-Town. Okay. And so- that choice, to enroll her little girls in dance, would eventually help land them spots at a middle school performing arts magnet and then on to Y-Pass. Brianna's mom was savvy. She knew what it would take to get her daughters into manual, and she did it. She's happy with the results. Her oldest daughter, Brittany, is studying pre-med at Emory University in Atlanta. And Brianna, she just earned a full ride to the University of Kentucky. So I'm so very, very proud of them. Both of them are class valedictorians at manual. She didn't tell me that. Yeah, she's, she's pretty modest, but I'm, I'm pretty proud. <laughs> If you were looking for a case study in support of magnet schools, the Johnson family would be an obvious choice. But despite her love for Manuel, that doesn't sit well with Brianna. Really, it's because of her love for Manuel that she chose to speak with me for this story. While there's a lot to be celebrated about the school, she told me there's a whole lot that needs fixing, too. First, Manuel's problems with race. Brianna's freshman year, a white male peer falsely told her she'd only gotten into Manuel because the school needed to fill a racial quota. She'd had her blackness questioned. Wait, you don't like rap? But you're black. And she'd been called an Oreo, black on the outside but white on the inside. She never had a black teacher, and she rarely had black peers in her advanced classes. And then when, like, the Breonna Taylor thing happened or any time any black-related issues would come up in the classroom, it would just get really awkward. People just like, oh, like, I just remembered that you're black. Or, like, in history class, I've had it sometimes where people, like, turn to me and want me to explain some things when we're talking about slavery or something. And I'm just like, why are you looking at me? Look at the teacher. Mm-hmm. I can't teach you. Second... Manuel's problems with class. Brianna was often reminded of her socioeconomic status at Manuel, and it made her feel less than. She'd heard peers say they applied to a dozen colleges, which meant their parents had paid more than $1,000 in admission fees. She'd learned that a girl who scored a 36 on the ACT, a perfect score, had been taking test prep classes since the seventh grade. And when the dance floor emptied out on prom night, Brianna realized it was because a large group of teens, the ones who'd been at a country club before the dance, were on their way to a house party, a party she wasn't invited to. 
this it's not that diverse. Even the students that aren't white that go here, uh, some of them, a lot of them aren't low income either. And so I think we need a manual, especially when you get out of this frame that diversity is just color, it's also income. And even if you have all, all the colors of the world, if everyone is still in the same income bracket, then there's something you're not doing right. And then there's the thing that really bothers Brianna because she's seen how it impacts her friends at Jefferson County's bad schools. How adults choose to talk about manual. I hear it from teachers all the time, how they'll like brag on manual or how they'll like trash other schools like Western or Seneca. And I'm just like, but you do realize that all of most of our students are like middle class, sometimes high class. Brianna didn't know it at the time, but she actually had one very prominent adult in her corner. Jefferson County Public Schools Superintendent Marty Polio. Good morning. Welcome to another Monday. Sorry, I can't hear you. Oh, my thing's off. That's me. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I said good morning and welcome to another Monday. Yeah, Adele, thank you. <laughs> Polio, a born and raised Louisvillian, has led Kentucky's largest school district since 2017. Before taking the top job, he was a high school principal. When I talked to him over Zoom in November 2020, he was up to his neck in challenges wrought by the pandemic. The darkness of that winter, both literally and figuratively, had already set in. And the timeline for adult vaccinations, which would eventually allow the district to reopen for in-person classes, still seemed far off. Yet he gave my colleague Olivia Krauth and I a full 90 minutes of his time that Monday morning to talk about something completely unrelated, JCPS's integration plan. To understand why Polio was willing to do this, there's two things you need to know about him. For one, he'd seen firsthand the unintended consequences of the plan. The school Polio led before becoming superintendent, Doss High, is one of Jefferson County's bad schools. And it was another one of Jefferson County's bad schools, Shawnee High, where Polio started his teaching career in 1997. And second, as a privileged parent, Polio had seen the other side of things, too. His own daughter attended a Spanish immersion magnet for elementary school, and then the same performing arts magnet as Brianna for middle school, before landing at, you guessed it, DuPont Manual High School. These two identities, the bad school principal and the good school dad, have really shaped Polio's thinking around integration and equity. So much so that he had recently unveiled a proposal to overhaul the system. That proposal would end forced busing for kids in the predominantly black and poor West End and would open up more magnet seats for disadvantaged kids. But given how the inequitable system had already advantaged his family, he was well aware he'd be open to criticism. Uh, I think that's those families that have such social capital are the families that figure out, like, and I'll include me, 
figure out how to access and, and play the game to get the, the a child into a program that they're going to be successful in. And so as a district, we have to do this better for all students and give the families that social capital to get to schools um, and not make them so exclusive that kids aren't able uh, to access them from our um, communities that have high needs. And we'll give an example. Many of the changes polio was proposing would dilute magnet schools' power to choose which kids get in and which get to stay. One of the reforms, an end to magnet's power to eject or exit students who have struggling behavior or grades, had already been met with pushback. We know that exiting kids from magnet programs was the big issue. Um, you know, even though we have a lot of evidence that says there are um, inequities racially in, in that. So, um, but that became the main issue. So these are really tough things that I think, um, you know, historically the district's focus on magnets for integration has not successfully done that job that we think more kids... Though Polio had been getting heat for his proposal, it wasn't the first time Jefferson County Public Schools' exits had come under scrutiny. After visiting the district in 2014 to audit JCPS's magnets... The national nonprofit Magnet Schools of America questioned, quote, the legality and ethics of the exit policy. And that wasn't all. MSA pointed out several other problems. For example, one magnet school didn't provide transportation for kids. And on the whole, JCPS's magnets were serving few English language learners and kids with special education plans. That was before my time at the CJ, so I tracked down Scott Thomas, former executive director of MSA. When he visited, JCPS magnet schools were exiting hundreds of kids every year. What did you all make of um, this ability of the, the magnet schools to exit students? And how does that compare to like what you would see elsewhere with magnets? So we wouldn't see that with magnets. We would see that with charters. Mm -hmm. And um, some schools that are selective, for example, um, schools of performing arts, they might um, dismiss a student. But I got to tell you, that's just not something that we see on the scale of things. We don't see schools dismiss kids because they didn't get points for wearing a belt. In its final report, MSA recommended 26 separate actions JCPS could take to get its magnets up to national standards, including taking a hard look at how exits were impacting magnet school diversity. JCPS created a magnet steering committee to review MSA's suggested reforms. And when I went back through old school board records, meeting minutes and recordings showed the committee did, in fact, advance a proposed exit ban in 2016. But not everyone on the committee, including magnet school principals, was on board. And once news of the potential ban was publicized, dozens of magnet school parents showed up to a meeting in protest. Not long after, school board members addressed the exit ban during a work session. By that point, the committee had reversed course. It was arguing to keep exits. Here's then-board president David Jones Jr. moderating the discussion. My substantive question for the committee really is, if it's so important to have 
an exit policy. Should all the regular schools have an exit policy also? You guys are recommending that um, in some of our most elite schools and some of our desirable um, schools with other programs, it's really important. There's no conceptual reason why if a school is not serving a kid well, they might not be moved to another one. But if this is such a great idea, it's kind of Linda's question on its head, why not do it everywhere? Somebody should just say that ain't our problem, we're the magnet school committee. <laughs> Needless to say, a proposal to ban exits never made it to a board vote. Today, JCPS's more than 60 magnet schools and programs can still get rid of kids whenever they want. I turned to my colleague at the CJ, Chris Kenning, to make sense of how this all happened. He began covering education for the paper in the early 2000s. It quickly became apparent that the system that they developed had created a have and have not uh, system of schools where in one case there were there were schools that were neighbor largely neighborhood schools that were dependent uh, on you know the kids who happened to live around there whether it was a you know middle class neighborhood or a lower income neighborhood and then there were the system of magnet schools that parents a lot of parents really wanted to get in they were in really high demand and they were considered the, the good schools and uh, and those had better test scores they had more active PTAs who could raise money for playground equipment and extracurricular programs. They had parents who would volunteer to teach chess and you know, theater. And um, a lot of those kids were funneled to middle schools of the same ilk and high schools of the same ilk as well. And so you, you had this, this kind of this really vast difference. I would see it in at school board meetings. So parents who would come from these schools were listened to more by the school board than parents at some of these lower performing schools. Um, Cause they were lawyers and doctors and you know, the board would respond to them uh, a lot better. So it, it, it was, it was really apparent that there was this kind of bifurcated system. Listening to Kenning, I couldn't help thinking of Spandina Pavuluri, another manual student I'd met through the Kentucky student voice team. Her life, in many ways, fits the bill as one of the haves. She lives with her family in a planned community on the far eastern edge of Jefferson County. It's one of those neighborhoods with a curated name, and instead of regular street signs, there are fancy black ones that hang from wrought iron. Spundina's mom is a doctor at Louisville's VA hospital. Her father was a software engineer, but became a stay-at-home dad when Spundina and her older sister's busy schedules became too much for two working parents to handle. Their schedules were so busy because the family had an end goal in mind, DuPont Manual. Like Brianna, Spundina and her sister got into a middle school magnet program that sends hundreds of freshmen to Manual every year. In fact, data I obtained under Kentucky's Open Records Act show that their middle schools, Know where Bree went, and Mazik, where Spundina went, have accounted for more than half of all Manuel's incoming students over the last 15 years. While Brianna focused on the arts, Spandana geared in on STEM, attending the district's highly regarded math, science, and technology magnets, both in middle school and now at Manuel, where she was a sophomore last spring. I thought I understood what it meant to be an MST student, 
But it wasn't until I visited Spendina's house that I really got the picture. Here's she and I in her bedroom. A photographer from the CJ was also there. This is the reason, so I always look over here when I, when, I feel like when I was talking to you, I probably did, because I like refer to the fact that I've like had textbooks literally forever. And like, this is just like a small subset of them. You keep your textbooks? Okay, yeah, we've been trying to donate a lot of them, but a lot of them. But like, like do you buy them? It was, I've had these like as long as I can remember. Oh, okay. They were just like practice things? Well, yeah, so like. These were actually, okay, this was when my sister was taking a math course and like there's a lot of ones that were from middle school and elementary school when I was doing those written assessments for like quick recall that I was telling Mm -hmm. you about. No, you can go. So, and like now it's like ACT stuff up there too, so. But so like that Algebra 1 textbook right there. Uh Uh-huh. Where is that from? Like from school? No. Oh, okay. Like this- personal. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> We've. And- I've, I've never met anyone with their personal textbooks before. I know it's crazy, but I like it, the fact that it's like not normal is like shocking to me because I've had these as long as I can remember. Because like my sister, like my dad would like get them for her, um, and it was usually because. She was probably studying Algebra 1 before she was taking Algebra 1 in school. Yeah. So, like, you know, then you get a personal textbook to study it. So then they kind of add up. Wow. There's, there's a bookcase in my sister's room, too. Oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Cumulatively, the system's propping up Jefferson County's elite magnets, from the school's special privileges to the outsized influence advantaged families have on school board decisions, can make you angry. Many middle-class parents I've talked to over the years who are benefiting from the system realize this. Many even feel guilt over it. They don't like the thought of already disadvantaged kids being put at an even greater disadvantage because of their choices. But at the end of the day, they're parents, and they choose what they see as the best education they can get for their children, despite their pangs of guilt about what their decisions mean for their community and society. And their children, most are like Spunina. They work hard and are kind. And they certainly don't bear responsibility for magnet inequities. Oftentimes, just like the kids at the bad schools, the kids at the good schools are dealing with their own traumas and mental health struggles. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, like, it's a concern in general, but I, at Manual specifically, I think it is um, just because, like, when I talk to, like, my MST classmates, like, we're all just, like, constantly have something to be worried about or something important that we feel like is defining that's coming up. And, like, you know, obviously that does take some, like, toll on a person. And it doesn't mean that everyone, like, is, like, maybe battling anxiety or, like, depression, but it, I do think that kids struggle. Um, and, like, for me, I personally haven't had any, like, mental health like disorders or anything like that but you know like the stress can be very consuming a lot of times and um usually for the most part I feel like pretty mentally stable but I know not everyone can say that and so just thinking about if I was to be like going through um that stuff like maybe battling depression and like having to deal with like 
all of the stuff with school, it could be terrifying, honestly, to think about it. And so... Spandana is Indian-American and has struggled with the model minority stereotype, especially as a member of Manuel's MST magnet, which is nearly 50% Asian in a district that is only about 6% Asian. When people see her at Manuel, they assume she's in MST, that she must be really good at math. That bothers her. Her sophomore course load was intense, and she had to work hard for every one of her good grades. AP World, AP Macro, AP Micro, um, MST Pre-Calc, MST Biology, MST Chemistry, Spanish 3 Advanced, and English 2, English 2 Advanced, I think? Yeah, I think it was English 2. When I shadowed Spandana in the spring, her mom was on a trip to India visiting family, right in the middle of a huge COVID wave there. Spandana was worried, but adults like her calculus teacher, Don Roy, made her feel supported. I could see why. Miss Roy could rattle off technical terms. Strictly monotonic function was one of the many I did not understand while at the same time making her classroom a warm space where kids could laugh over nerdy math jokes. Which, to be honest, I didn't understand a lot of those either. It's concave up if it can hold water. It's concave down if it would spill it. Yeah? <laughs> I was about how the word concavity implies the existence of a condentist. I imagine Miss Roy is like this with all of her classes. But tragically, this group had a reason for their tight bond. Back when they were still in remote learning, the teens rarely turned their cameras on. But when one student's name stopped appearing on their screens, Spandana and her classmates still felt the loss. Though the school couldn't tell them directly, they eventually found out what happened. Their classmate had died by suicide. Miss Roy didn't just press ahead with her college-level lesson plans, Spandana told me. She took time to make sure her students were all right. For all the issues with exclusivity in Louisville's public schools, this sort of pain and the compassionate response from a caring teacher isn't exclusive to any one type of school, whether considered good or bad. But no matter how many great kids like Spandana and great teachers like Miss Roy are inside the good schools, the inequities that prop up those schools' reputations still exist. Manuel's MST program provides just one example. In the 2019-20 school year, just 33 of the program's 516 students were Black, and only 19 were Latinx. Just 67 of those 516 kids were considered low income, and only three had special education plans. So um, I think one of the goals that uh, we share is to be a little bit more reflective of our 
um, entire school-based community, like JCPS community, that, that really is a goal of mine. Manual Principal Michael Newman, you might recall from episode one, only began leading the school in March. Like polio, he spent part of his career leading one of Jefferson County's bad schools, Western High, which is located in a predominantly black community. During his time as principal there, Zyron's culinary teacher, Chef Nakia Rhodes, was actually one of Newman's students. Of all of Louisville's bad schools, Western is the hardest hit by the district's current setup. A full 70% of students zoned to Western chose not to attend school there in 2019-20. Newman told me he empathizes with colleagues still leading schools with rough reputations. He remembers what it was like to have his whole school's worth determined by standardized test scores. But he's in a new position now, one that's laden with politics and surrounded by traditions that have been protected for decades. It's taken me a while uh, throughout my career to to really say, you know, it's easy. Like we, we could, we the JCPS could easily lift every school up uh, by simply redistributing the the wealth, so to speak. However, that's not what's best for kids. The reason why Manuel is so successful. What is best for kids? Newman went on to tell me, would be more schools like Manuel, where kids are passionate about what they're learning. In theory, it's a logical point. But if that was all it took, why did Jefferson County's bad schools, which have hundreds of students like Zyron who care deeply about their education, continue to be viewed as failing? Aletha Fields, who's taught at Iroquois for more than 20 years, believes it's by design. She's well aware that over the last decade, one in 10 students enrolling at Manual as freshmen didn't come from the public system. They came from private or parochial schools. And that's not the end of it, she said. Over the years, she's heard from people with firsthand knowledge about another thing that doesn't sit right with her. There are several students there who don't even live in Louisville and have Louisville addresses so that they can attend Manual. Um, Some of them live as far as the Fort Knox area, Hardin County. Um, Oldham County, that's a Every, that's, everybody knows that. And they've never even put into the public school system here, yet they get a spot in the premier school in the district. And our students who, are, who have been public school children their whole lives don't even get an opportunity. What's happening in Louisville schools, Fields concluded, is merely a reflection of the community. People separate it like that of the haves and the have-nots and the should-haves versus those who are not worthy. Um, And so that whole bunch of cockamamie there, it just mirrors society at large um, um, because that is society at large. And so it plays into that beautifully. And those structures are in place to keep that entitlement and that comfort level available to a very select group of people and the rest. It's kind of to hell with you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to A Bad School on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to rate the show. 
A Bad School is reported and produced by me, Mandy McLaren. Editing by Laura Unger. Sound engineering by Jeff Fonder. Mary Irby Jones is our executive editor. Special thanks to Chandler Hopeful and Adam Fish. This has been a production of The Courier-Journal in Louisville, Kentucky, a member of the USA Today Network.